Can we have our Hebrews passage on the screen behind me? Hebrews 11, just 32 to 34. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. So we're working our way through Hebrews. I do sound very loud. <laughs> is, that, is that my imagination? I feel like I'm echoing. And this morning we're looking at David. And I don't know about you, but I find the story of David so encouraging um, in 1 Samuel 13, 14, he is described as a man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart. That is such a beautiful way to describe someone, isn't it? And yet, what encourages me is that if, if we look at the life of David, that he, like us, was not immune to making some really bad decisions from time to time. And actually, that's true of of many of those people named in that Hebrews passage. If you were here last week and you heard Chris talk about Samson, he made some pretty awful mistakes on the way through. Gideon, I, I talked about Gideon a few weeks ago, and he kept doubting God and kept trying to put God to the test. Rahab was a prostitute. David himself, he, David committed adultery with Bathsheba, then he tried to cover up his sin... He arranged for her husband to be killed after he got her pregnant. And there are, there are other times as well when in the scriptures they tell us that David took matters into his own hands and didn't seek after God. But actually every one of these people in all their fallibility are still named as people who through faith experienced great victories for God. And I find that really encouraging, <laughs> really encouraging. Because ultimately, I think each of them took opportunities that God gave them to put their faith in him. They believed his promises, for the most part. And in so doing, for the most part, they lived their lives in a way that brought glory to God. And we can do the same. And actually, my, my prayer for me and my prayer for all of us is that, that we will be a people after God's own heart. Because that's what it's about in the end, isn't it? We live for God, not for ourselves. And so when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, well, what do I look at? Because actually the Bible really tells the whole story of David's life. And we've got the whole of 1 Samuel, the whole of 2 Samuel. And he was a great songwriter and a musician, and he's credited with writing loads of the Psalms. And so I was like, well, what do we look at, Lord? But... I thought I'd look at the passage that probably actually we all know, the story of David and Goliath, which, um, which is in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Um, at this point in, in the story, um, Israel is at war with the Philistines. And actually, I would, I'm not going to read it all. I've, I've asked for 1 Samuel 17, but it's a long chapter. I'm only going to pick out specific verses. But I would encourage you again to go back and read the whole account at some point in your own time. But can we have 1 Samuel 17, 1 to 10? We're going to read those verses. 
Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokar in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damin between Sokar and Ezekar. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with a valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armour of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. That's quite a statement, isn't it? (laughs) Even before he spoke, Goliath was an incredibly intimidating sight. I mean, nine feet tall. That's quite tall. And if you read on, which we will in a bit, we're told that this, this situation carries on for 40 days. Goliath comes back every morning, every evening, and he taunts and he mocks the Israelites for 40 days. It's a bit of a stalemate. And it, it seems, if you read the passage, that not a single one of the Israelites can see that situation with the eyes of faith at all dismayed and terrified. And their, their fear is essentially overwhelming them and paralyzing them. All they can see is this huge, intimidating man, and they're, they're really, really afraid. That is, except for David. This is, this is the, the best bit of the story. Up until now, David hasn't been involved. He was the youngest son of Jesse, the youngest of eight, I think. And At this point, he's a shepherd, not a soldier. And at the moment, he's just being sent by his father to take food to where his brothers are camped. They are soldiers in the army. And David comes and he brings the food and he sees the terror. He sees there's no no fighting going on. He arrives at the campsite and he, he kind of sees the stalemate. And... And I think if you look at the passage, you see that actually what he recognises is cowardice on the part of the Israelite army. But this, I think, this is where we start to see who David really is. Because when he hears Goliath's mockery, I'm looking at verse 26 now, he says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Can you hear that? Can you hear what he's saying? He's seeing it differently. He's seeing it differently. That is a statement of faith right there. He's not coming under the fear and the terror and the intimidation that the whole of the rest of the Israelites are. And actually, 
not only is he not afraid, but he's, he's prepared to act on his faith in God. It's extraordinary. Because he knows, he knows in his knower, he knows in his gut, I have a sense that he really feels it, that, that his God is God of the impossible. And he knows that God is always with them. He's, he's got faith. And that's what enables him to see this whole situation from a different perspective. Okay. What's different about him is that his David's view of God is not swayed at all by the outward circumstances. And I think that's really key. He's not swayed by what he's seeing with his physical eyes. He's seeing with his spiritual eyes. We had a friend who said to us once, look at the situation. And he went, no, with your other eyes. <laughs> Don't look through your physical eyes only. Look at situations through your, your spiritual eyes. And that's what David is doing. So we're going to pick up the story uh, in verse... Let's go to verse 32. Can we have 32 to 37 up? And here you're going to hear in David's words that he is a man of faith. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Let no one lose heart. That's a, that's a faith statement. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. And he has been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. What a different attitude to the rest of the army. You can hear his assurance, you can hear his confidence. And his confidence is not in his ability, his confidence is in the fact that God won't let him down. It's a different thing. He's not confident in his stature or his ability to fight. We can tell from what Saul says that he's small in stature. But he's declaring that he's going to personally go and battle Goliath. And so what happens is Saul gives him his tunic to wear. He dresses him in a coat of armor. He puts a bronze helmet on his head. But actually, if you read on, it says that David's not used to this stuff. So he can't even walk in the stuff. So that's no good at all. And so what he does, he takes all this stuff off. He takes the armor off. He takes the tunic off. He even discards his sword. And he goes into battle with Goliath, armed with nothing other than a slingshot and five stones. I, I, you know the story. And my guess is that Saul and everyone looking on are probably thinking, what's he doing? He's being an idiot. <laughs> because they're still seeing it through their physical eyes only. They, they've got a 100% a earthly realm perspective. And David has... a almost, I would say, 100% spiritual realm perspective in this situation. And actually, I think there's something for us to learn in that. You know, when we take our eyes off of God, we end up with an earthly realm perspective. 
And we end up deciding that we're going to put our trust in the things that seem sensible. And we prefer our, our own worldly wisdom when we allow fear and intimidation to dictate to us how we're feeling. And when we do that, our decisions and our choices will be fear-based, not faith-based. Because where are, our, where are we looking? We're looking at circumstances. We're looking at what the world says we should do. It's not a faith position. I do it myself. I battle with anxiety when I look at situations from a worldly perspective instead of seeing things from God's perspective and knowing that God's got it. Whatever the it is for you, God's got it. And that it will be different for all of us. And the thing is, fear and control always go hand in hand. Always. Because when we allow our fear to rule the roost, we'll always end up operating in control because we're trying to mitigate against it all the time. And as soon as we do that, we take matters into our own hands. We're no longer trusting God. We're no longer operating in faith. And the challenge is recognizing when we do that, because we all do that, I do that. The challenge is recognizing when we do it and turning back to God immediately we see it. I was talking to a couple of friends this week and I actually told a story that Laurie and I had a decision to make a long time ago now, back in 2010. And we just, well, for me, I thought, I can't make this decision. It's a bit like the boat on the quayside. I thought, I can't step onto the boat because this might happen, and this might happen, and this might happen. And a very wise friend said to me, if you can give me a reason for not stepping onto the boat that's not based in fear, I'll listen to you. (laughs) And that stayed with me, because it's such a helpful thing to say. Fear stops us trusting God. Fear stops us looking at situations through the eyes of faith. So let's, let's carry on in, in the story. Let's go to, um, can we go have verses 41 to 50? So David's on his way to fight Goliath. No armor, no sword, just his slingshot. So verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, without a sword in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine and killed him. 
I think it's really interesting that Goliath isn't only intimidating in his appearance, but he's, almost, he's, he's, he's also determined to intimidate through what he says, through his words. And before the battle even begins, he's trying to inject fear into David's heart. Do you recognize that? I do. Because I think the enemy is very successful at intimidating God's people with words. In fact, I, would, I think I'd go so far as to argue that intimidation is one of the enemy's greatest strategies that comes against us. Because, because the enemy knows he's been defeated and he knows that we already have the victory, his, his biggest strategy is making us, trying to make us believe that we don't have the victory by instilling fear. Because that way, he will cause us to retreat from the battle and take our eyes off God. But it's all lies, isn't it? It's all lies. And I think sometimes that intimidation, that fear, that, that, that those words might be people speaking to us and saying, oh gosh, you know, that, that's a terrible situation. And coming when, when um, years and years ago, when one of our kids was really poorly with an ME-type illness, so many people said, oh gosh, that's so hard. There's nothing you can do. And we just bought into it. It was enemy intimidation. I think sometimes that intimidation comes through the sort of whispered what-ifs, our own thought life when we're trying to go to sleep at night. Oh, but what if this? What if that? And I think those are subtle lies whispered by the enemy. But did you notice how David deals with it? How does David come against the intimidation? By declaring truth. It's not, it's not rocket science, actually. I think it's really easy to look at this story and see the physical battle, the successful defeat of this giant by one well-aimed slingshot. But if that's all we see, we're missing the point. Because it's a spiritual battle, not a physical battle. And victory comes through faith, same as it does for us. David says to Goliath, it's the God of Israel who's going to deliver you into my hands. It's God who's won the victory. Those verses, verses 46 and 47, I actually, I think David knew that this particular event had nothing to do with him per se. Otherwise, he wouldn't say those things. It was all up for David. It was all about God from the start. He says... All those gathered here will know it is not by sword or spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's. He makes that faith declaration. And he even announces it to the fearful and unbelieving crowd and the fearful and the unbelieving army. It was all about God from the start for David. He speaks out truth by faith. He makes those faith declarations. That is so vital. We should not underestimate the power of the spoken word when it comes to faith, because truth will always overcome lies. And we need to know in our hearts, or in our guts, that God is mightier than any situation we can ever face. And I know that that's hard. In the middle of the night, or when we're facing something really tricky, I know, I know that's hard. But I also know it's the only way. Remember what Paul writes in Ephesians 6.12. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
that applies in David's situation just as it applies to us. Our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but we're on the winning side. And that amazing verse in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, where, again, Paul writes, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And if we're going to be a people that live by faith, we need to remember this stuff. We need to live by these principles. We all know that David went on to become an amazing king, a mighty king. And he was successful because of his faith and trust in God. And he's gone down in history as a hero of faith, hasn't he? In spite of the mistakes we talked about. For the most part, throughout his life, he sought God's wisdom. He sought God's perspective on his, on his battles, on the situations that he faced. And it's because of that that he knew God's favour and won most of his battles. I read this week, I don't think I ever knew this, that he actually he died a peaceful death, which was a luxury in those times for someone who was a warrior. That's really unusual. He enjoyed the favour of God. And I think we can see, if we look at the accounts of his life in 1 and 2 Samuel, if we look at the Psalms, it's not difficult to see that he had a deeply, deeply personal relationship with the Lord. And a very practical relationship with God. He would come to God and say, should I go after this army? And God would either say yes or no. But we can see that he was real, can't we, too? If we look at the Psalms, he wasn't immune to fear. Being a hero of faith doesn't make him immune to fear. And when he was struggling, he poured out those struggles to the Lord. He brought them to God. He wasn't afraid to tell God how he felt. And I think that's just as key if we're going to be people of faith. It's be real, be real. And the, why, how could he do that? Because he knew God was with him. And, and God knew that David would fall into sin, just like all of us. We all sin from time to time. But the bottom line is that because of his faith, David actually, the Bible says, David remained righteous in God's sight. God looks at you and me and he sees us as righteous because of Jesus. And David always remembered God's promise to him. In, we haven't read this verse, but in 2 Samuel 7, verse 9, God promises David that his name will remain great. And actually, God wonderfully fulfilled that promise, didn't he? Because one of David's descendants gave birth to Jesus. David is in the genealogy of Jesus. And that's why I find the story of David so encouraging, because he kept his faith through thick and thin. And in the same way that God knows us, and our fallibilities. He loves it when we turn to him with whatever it is that's going on. We didn't look at the, this, the beginning of Hebrews 11, but verse 6 in Hebrews 11 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So may we all be a people of faith. May we all learn more and more what it is to live by faith in the most wonderful, loving Father who will never, ever leave us or let us down. Amen.